0: Good evening, River House. I tore my Achilles. I know you're all wondering. Yeah, not fun, but I'm still breathing. So, uh, and I, I'm honestly not in a bunch of pain. So don't feel that bad for me. But if you want to like bring me gifts, I live at 2011. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> yep. So, um, if you have your Bibles. You can turn them to Matthew 16 and also 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to read a few verses out of those chapters together tonight. I'm going to pray. I was playing basketball, by the way. I forgot. You're probably wondering that, too. It was lame. It was a lame injury, but scary. So, surgery in the morning. You can honestly be praying for that if you want to pray. Lord, we thank you. Uh, that you, your word's powerful, God, and that you don't waste uh, a moment, you don't waste a word on us. And so I just give you permission to speak right now, Jesus, in a way that will uh, enliven us, God. That your resurrection power will be loosed at these words and that you will actually accomplish a work within our hearts tonight, God. God, give us spiritual eyes to see and perceive your ways. God, come and and open the eyes of our hearts tonight, I pray, by your miracle grace and your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, So I want to talk uh, about uh, spiritual vision tonight and actually having eyes to see and perceive and actually uh, receive revelation. And uh, this is... Um, going to lead into w- what I will uh, share on November 4th. So I really am asking. I think it'd just be great to have a big old family birthday party uh, and 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 do reflect on where we've uh, been and and also uh, there's some some things stirring in my heart of where we're going that are exciting and and I think going to be transformative within our community. And I feel like God's been very intentional. Uh, kind of brick by brick by brick building this, but that we're actually ushering into a, a new season that's going to have uh, implications really on all of us. And so, um, please come that Sunday. I know it's always good to come to church, but I think this will be a significant one, just as far as um, setting the precedent and kind of the the pace for uh, where we're going in the coming years. And. Uh, but tonight, it's going to be more uh, focused on you in the sense of your own spiritual vision and, and us being able to see in the Spirit. And in Matthew 16, if you're there, uh, there's a passage that's it's talked about a lot. It's a famous passage uh, with Jesus and Peter. And I, I want to offer um, and kind of open up dialogue on a perspective that is not talked about as much. Uh, I've heard three different perspectives talked about this verse where Jesus talks about Peter, you know, and then the rock of the church. And I want to offer a perspective that, that was given to me years ago that has, I think, a lot of validity to it. And so we'll just start in verse 13. And this is uh, Jesus talking to the disciples, and he says, "'Who do people say that the Son of Man is?' And they said, "'Some say John the Baptist, and others, Elijah.'" but still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you're Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Right? And so the two uh, things that are often gleaned from this passage, the first is that, you know, Peter is the rock of the church, and Roman Catholicism really uh, anchors upon that. Uh, and then some people have said, well, no, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying that uh, the revelation that Jesus is the Son of God, that is the foundation of the church. And I, I think it's saying both of those things. Uh, but I also think that there is a third significant piece uh, of, of insight that Jesus is giving us here that's not talked about as much, and that is that Jesus is affirming Peter's ability to receive revelation from the Father. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but the Father who's in heaven, and upon this rock I'm going to build my church. And so I'd just like to offer the perspective that see with spirit, able to receive revelation from the Father, being able to see with spiritual eyes what God is saying and doing is vitally important and even a foundation for our personal spiritual lives, the spiritual life of any community, family, church. It is highly, highly significant that we have an ability to receive revelation from God. And... I want to authenticate this by looking that that Paul uh, very much continues on the same line. and I've been uh, really reading a lot of Paul's writings lately, and I've just been struck how consistent a theme of being able to see in the spirit or receive revelation or glean insight. It is woven all throughout Paul's letters, which to me, uh, further authenticates this idea that it is vitally important that we are able to receive revelation from the Father, be able to see with spiritual eyes. So I'm just going to read a few verses, um, and this is not an exhaustive list, but I'm going to share like, just a few from a few different books. And so uh, Galatians 1.12 says, I, this is speaking of the gospel, I, never, I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And then a few verses later, it says he was set apart from his mother's womb and called through grace, and God was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. Sound familiar? Blessed are you, Simon. You didn't get this from flesh and blood. Paul, same sentiment. Um, and then verse 2-2, two, two, again, Paul, it was because of a revelation that I went up to Jerusalem. Right, so you see this consistent theme within Paul's writings. Uh, the next book is Ephesians, and there's more references to this than Ephesians, but uh, verse 9, he says, in all wisdom and insight, God made known to us the mystery of his will, uh, in verse 1, verse or chapter verse 17 and 18, he prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of God. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, opened, flooded with light. Um, chapter 3, verse 2, Paul says, uh, if indeed you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery. This is good. (laughs) You're like, yeah, I see what you're saying, right? Verse four, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. I'm just picking a few here, a few books later, Colossians, this is uh, Colossians 1.9, it says uh, that he prays that we may be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, chapter 1, verse 26 Says, of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the gospel, the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations, but has now been manifest, made known, revealed to his saints. Alright, I could I'm just gonna stop there so I could keep going. He talks about seeking the things above where Christ is at the right hand of God. There's this theme all throughout Paul's writings that you have to be able to see in the spirit. You have to be able to glean insight into the mystery of the gospel. There's this necessity of having eyes that are revelatory. You you see, you perceive what God is doing, not just with your natural eyes, but you have to be able to see. In the spirit. Amen? Amen? And when I start talking on a topic like this, we, we you know, you could start saying, Well, that sounds like you know, mystical or mysticism. And I say, yes, it does. It's definitely spiritual. It doesn't make sense with our own five senses, our bodies, our logical minds. Right? And sometimes we have this perverted view of mysticism that actually comes in where people act like, like, like people will say things like. You know, that person's a mystic, and they'll say that in, a, in like a bad connotation, which is kind of hilarious, because if you are a Christian, you are by default a mystic. You believe your whole life banks upon a man that died, that rose again three days later, and now lives in your heart. <laughs> like, explain that logically. Right? so it's funny when oftentimes Christians will be like, "That person's a mystic." It's like, "Well, aren't you?" Right? We we sometimes forget that there's a lot of mystery involved in Christianity. Right? And but but a lot but because those those connotations and almost like the the word and, and the label, uh, you know, it, the the concept even of that person's too heavenly minded for any earthly good. Right? That's a concept that comes out of an ungrounded sense of, of, of the mystery where uh, we, we can think of mysticisms and mystics as people that are kind of up in the clouds and ethereal and hey, have these spiritual experiences on Sundays, but it doesn't really translate to much on Monday through Saturday, and so there's kind of this divide around it. Does this make sense? And so, I actually want to present tonight that true mysticism, the, the ability to, to have a true spiritual experience, to be spiritual people with spiritual eyes, it actually translates into tangible application. Right? And Paul was a mystic. We see in Second Corinthians chapter 10, uh, and he starts talking about this revelation he has in the third heaven where he, he receives inexpressible commands that man can't even speak to others. And he's actually sharing that in the midst of a very tense drama with the Corinthian church to be proof of the authenticity of his apostolic ministry. So Paul actually banked a lot on these mystical revelations that he had had seen in the Spirit. He was very much a man guided by revelation. But Paul is the furthest thing you could ever find from someone living in the clouds. Paul is a contextual, practical theologian that was engaged in the mess of church in speaking to bring about the edification of human beings to fall more in love with each other and with Jesus. Right? So Paul, I, I, we're going to look at this passage in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and 5 to demonstrate that, that spiritual eyes aren't just like this great thing, like you need to see in the spirit so you can see angels. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm saying we have to be able to see and receive revelation from the invisible God if we're to be, practically speaking, healthy, Christians living healthy, vibrant spiritual lives and fulfilling the ministry that God has given to us. It is highly, highly important and very practical that you see in the Spirit. And we're going to look at the Word of God to to see what the heck I'm talking about. So we're going to, this is kind of a bulky topic, and I'm going to kind of do my best to get through chapters 4 and 5 because there's a lot here. But I'm going to give a little context, and then we're going to, I'm going to jump through like five or six verses that, to kind of bump our way through chapters 4 and 5 to understand what Paul's doing here and, and demonstrate the practicality and the significance of being able to see and perceive from God's perspective. To be like Peter, that we can receive revelation from the Father and see what he's thinking, what he's perceiving about situations in our life. Okay? So the context is in Corinth it's a very, there's a a lot of drama, right? There's a lot of water under the bridge between Paul and the Corinthian church. And Paul started the Corinthian church. He then left to continue other churches. And there's all types of conflict that breaks loose. And the main source of conflict is that Paul dubs them the super apostles, which uh, he's saying sarcastically, are these teachers that have come in And are perverting the gospel message, but they're finding a big following amongst the Corinthian church. And the the context is that what they're preaching, they're they're trying to um, make them like Jewish. So they're saying you need to be circumcised. And, and Paul says essentially what they're doing is they're removing the offense of the cross and they're trying to get people back into a legalistic type relationship with God. And because of that, these super apostles are experiencing no persecution and they're much more uh, uh, esteemed in the natural sense, right? They look good. They're preaching a message. They're probably wealthier. Uh, they ju- they're, they're just, they're esteemed. They, they're dignified, okay? And Paul is the furthest thing from that, Paul is persecuted. Paul is poor. Paul is struggling. Paul has people that are trying to stone him and kill him, and everywhere he goes, there's conflict. Does this make sense? See the dichotomy? So, in this. Dichotomy. Paul writes 1 Corinthians, he writes 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is much further down the journey where he had written 1 Corinthians. Some people in the church had responded to it, a lot of people did not. So then Paul had to go back to Corinth. They had a painful visit. Um, he had more rebuking, correcting. And now, this is a time has passed, he's writing 2 Corinthians where some people have come back under his authority. Some people have still rejected his authority because of these super apostles, and there's this divide. Right? And so Paul, the second Corinthians, is this very passionate, vulnerable plea of Paul where he is diving into the midst of a, of a church that's experiencing conflict. He's exposing his heart and he's trying to open the eyes of the church to see with true spiritual eyes so that they can recognize the authentic gospel message. All right, so I'm preaching to Christians tonight and the reason I emphasize that is because Paul is speaking to Christians in this letter and he's speaking specifically showing that if you don't see with spiritual eyes, you are actually vulnerable to falling tempt into these manipulations that are gonna take you away and remove the stumbling block of the cross and with it, the power of the gospel. All right, so he's speaking to a church that because they're not seen in the Spirit, a lot of havoc has come, is being produced. So it's a highly practical situation. So that is the context through which we're going to look at chapters 4 and chapters 5. All right, so chapter 3, it's the famous glory-to-glory glory verse with unveiled face. We're beholding the risen Jesus being transformed into his image. And he starts chapter 4 saying, therefore, we have this ministry. So Paul is saying, this is the ministry I've been given. It's to bring people into a relationship of liberty, to see the face of Jesus, and be transformed into this image. And he says, uh, about halfway through verse 2, he says, "Um, We're not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, we're commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So, you have to recognize he's, he's trying to bring distinction in all of this between him and the super apostles. So, he's saying they're adulterating the word of God. I'm speaking the truth. Skip down to verse five. He says, We do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord and ourselves as ambition. That's about them and their ministry's sake. Super apostles preaching a message of selfish ambition. That's about them and their ministry and them getting money and them getting a platform. I've come. To preach Jesus, and I'm His bond servant. Still, He's building dichotomy here. Verse seven. But we have this treasure, this message of freedom to unveil, the, to see the unveiled face of Jesus. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. And then He goes on to say, "We're afflicted, we're crushed, we're perplexed." He says in verse ten. We're always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. And what he's trying to answer here for the Corinthians is there's people that said, Paul's not, he, he's not impressive. He doesn't look good. His speech isn't powerful. He's persecuted. He's poor. There's all these things. Why do we want to follow him? We want to follow the super apostles. They're powerful. They seem like it's good. It's, it's you following me. And Paul's trying to explain, yeah, yeah. I have all these things. I'm not gonna try to deny it. I have a life of suffering. I'm bearing my cross. I'm living in this place of contempt and pain in a way. He's not trying to deny it. He's trying to accentuate and actually again bring the difference between these two. And then verse 16, I'm gonna read verse 16 through 18. He says, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man, which is what the Corinthians can see, our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, natural eyes, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So he's trying to get them to see. You're, you're, you're recognizing the temporary distresses in my life as if that you know, means that my message is not authentic. But if you see with the Spirit, you're going to see the eternal that's taking place. And he, he continues on this, temporal, uh, on this temporal and eternal. And then he tells us in verse 6 that we walk by faith, not by sight. So he's trying to just, he's, he's building this dichotomy, but he's basically saying, my message is authentic, but you're only going to see that if you can see with eyes of faith, all right? And then here's the stumbling block. If you skip down to verse 15, he's talking about Jesus's death that, that controls him. It says, and Jesus died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. And this right here, this is the correction that Paul's trying to bring to Corinth. You are drawn to the teaching of these super apostles because they're removing the stumbling block of the cross, which allows you to use the Christian message for yourselves. And because you don't have spiritual eyes, you don't recognize that though my ministry has pain and contempt and a cross... If you could see with spiritual eyes, you would see that all of my sufferings are producing an eternal weight of glory. That you can come into the presence of God, see his face, and be transformed from one degree of glory to another. And not just this. He then goes to the next verse and says... And if you can't recognize what is authentic in my ministry, you're actually going to be disqualified from your own. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him in this way no longer, because if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation to plead on behalf of the old has passed the new has come and you're a minister of reconciliation to plead on behalf of God that people can come home and be reconciled with God. But if you can't have eyes to see that my message is the authentic gospel because all you're seeing with natural eyes and with your own self-promotion and selfish ambition, if you can't have eyes to see, you're gonna miss it. If you've missed my message, you've missed your ministry. Paul's trying to plead with the Corinthians. Are you following me here? And the key verse that I just can't get out of my spirit is so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. True spiritual vision, true spiritual experience will always bring to light and bring manifest the death and resurrection of Jesus It will reveal the cross in the midst of our spirituality. Paul says, I preach nothing but Christ and Him crucified. That was not him saying the only thing I ever say is that Jesus died on a cross and rose. What that was him saying is in every context, in every place where there is strife, where there's division, where there's brokenness, where there's hopelessness, I preach the message of the crucified Jesus who died on our behalf and rose again. But you will only have eyes to see this message if you can see in the spirit, not with your physical eyes, but with eyes of faith. This is very practical for us, right? Peter, Peter, blessed are you, Peter, for you didn't see this with flesh and blood, but you received this as a revelation from the Father. You know what the next paragraph was? Jesus is like, hey, okay, now that was great. Next thing, I'm gonna go to Jerusalem. I'm gonna die on a cross. Peter's like, oh, no, 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 you're not. You'd never do that, Lord. He rebukes him. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. You set your mind on the things of man, not on the things of God. And Peter, Peter is looking at this saying, no, no, no. You said you were coming to liberate captive Israel. You said you were coming to heal the broken, set the blind, open the blind eyes. You you said you were coming to be the delivering Messiah. You can't die on a cross. Because from Peter's perspective, he could just see the cross was the end of the ministry of Jesus. But from Jesus' perspective, he saw that by his wounds, we'd be healed. He saw that it was by his death, he'd bring resurrection and liberty to an afflicted, enslaved humanity. Right From man's perspective, the cross looked like the dark night. From the perspective of heaven, it was the counterbalance. It was the counterpunch. It was when all the cosmos changed and Jesus wrought victory on our behalf. Aren't you glad Jesus could receive revelation from the Father? And you know how we know he received revelation from the Father? It's because he looked at the cross and it says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. When we see with spiritual eyes, we can begin to see the cross, but we will actually see through the cross, through the temporary sufferings, and we'll see the eternal weight of glory that is on the other side of the cross. On the other side of our cross. Jesus had to die on a Roman cross on Golgotha. That's not our cross, but we each have a cross. And we are kidding of God for your life. Think you don't. We will not escape suffering because it is not the will of God for your life. There is a cross with your name on it and it is not just a one-time experience. You carry your cross daily. Paul says, I die daily. The cross is a gift from a good God because it produces something in us that is momentous and powerful and extraordinary glory that we cannot comprehend. But this is the problem. If we only see with natural eyes, we will despise the cross that is the end of my calling that's the end of my destiny that's the last thing I want but God's saying no 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 no. blessed are you Peter for flesh and blood didn't give you this insight but your father in heaven upon this rock I'm gonna build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail Blessed are you, son or daughter, when you can look at your cross and see through it, right? Faith sees through the temporary into the eternal, and we'll begin to see the joy on the other side of the cross, and we will recognize that in the places where it's difficult, in the places of hardship, the cross is the message of Jesus' self-emptying love, and it is the model that we must follow, Paul is trying to get Corinth to lay down their own ego and instead surrender, self-empty, and choose love. Like Jesus, who though he was one with God, did not try to prove himself God's equal on earth, but instead emptied himself and became a servant. Emptied himself and served that's the message of the cross. It's the center of the church. It's the power of the gospel, and we, it, it's never gonna go away. Spiritual vision, we will see the cross, but we'll see through the cross so that we can, the joy set before us, we'll recognize that though this doesn't seem right in the natural sense, I'm gonna self-empty. I'm gonna choose agape here. I'm, I'm gonna go low. I'm gonna bleed. I'm gonna love. I'm gonna embrace this gift of severe mercy. Allow it to do its work in me so that I carry in my body both the death and the resurrection of Jesus. As Paul says in Philippians 3, that I can know him, be conformed to his death, that by any means possible, I can attain the resurrection of the dead. And we can press on to lay hold of that for which he laid hold of us the upper call of God, but we don't go to the heights of God until we're willing to go to the depths of God. It's all God. If we want the fullness, if we want the fire, we want to be used by revival. That means the depths. That means the heights. That means I want it all, and we will not escape the cross. We need the cross. The cross is a gift. The cross is a beautiful, beautiful gift. It's right at the middle. Right, we forget sometimes because the cross—it's like gold and it's hanging from our necks and on top of high buildings. It's like this is beautiful. The cross means victory. Yes, it means victory, only because it also meant the death of Jesus. It was a torturing symbol. It was—it was a—it was, was a cruel and horrible way to die. People looked at crosses and thought pain. People looked at crosses and thought suffering. That's what a cross is for. But those that can see in the Spirit aren't afraid of that. Those that can see in the Spirit know that the path to exaltation is humility. Those that can see in the Spirit know, know that you know, you, you, you just you see. You see from God's perspective. You see the way. You see the path. You know what to do. You know how to walk. You know how to love. You know how to live have to be able to see, see, and perceive from God's perspective. Amen? So how do we see in the Spirit? How do we have that which is invisible made manifest to us? How how do I train my eyes to be able to recognize God's moving, God's actions. How do do I look at things that can look difficult but see the kingdom perspective so that I can see full circle and see through? Because the reality is when we see in the spirit things that seem very difficult, I've had this many times. People say, man, Jordan, I can't believe you did that. That just seemed like such a courageous, humble thing to do. I'm like, no, no, no. I was actually compelled there. Like it felt good to go there because I could see that's where God was calling me. How do we we get that vision? John 14, 21 says, He who has my commandments and keeps them is is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. It's love, intimacy, secret place. It's the place of revelation. Revelation's the fruit of intimacy, not just of study. It's not the fruit of church. It's not the fruit of listening to worship songs in your car. It can be. But it's about the heart. And the thing I hear often in regards to the secret place, which is not a bad thing, but it's that, you know, I pray all day. I'm like, that's great. I love that you pray all day. We're told to pray without ceasing. It's a beautiful thing to do. But you can talk to your spouse all day and not be intimate. You know, in true intimacy, what they tell me Takes place where no other eyes are. You and God alone. And we all know this. There's things that happen between you and the Lord that simply don't happen in public. It's a chamber room, it's a closed space, it's a quiet space, it's enclosed, it's a garden locked, a spring sealed. You can't trespass into it. It's it's the secret place of the steep pathway where the beloved comes to meet that's the the ground that's the sacred place that's the garden where revelation springs it's probably the most simple and most difficult thing i'll say tonight is we have to be a people of the secret place Have to be a people that actually prioritize the presence and I think by far the hardest thing, the hardest battle I find with my time is to not be a Martha, but to stay a Mary as life gets busier and crazier. And it's so easy to justify it away in so many ways. And because we live in a world that idolizes productivity. And I've heard it said that an idol is anything you have to consult before you say yes to God. And I find that typically, before I say yes to spending time with God, I've got to check. Am I going to be able to get done everything I needed to get done today? And I've reflected. There used to be a lot of things when we started this church I'd stress about. Little items, little agendas, little things I had to go do, things I thought were so important, things I'd stay up at night thinking about. I thought it was just so important and now I look back, I'm like, that was such a waste of my time and energy. <laughs> like, I don't even care about those things anymore. And that's two years of perspective, two years of hindsight. And it can be sobering to think about from eternity's perspective, how much am I doing really doesn't matter that much in a day. How much airspace and, and, and time and energy I give to things that in the scope of eternity are relatively useless. When I know, when I know without any shadow of a doubt that every moment I invest being intimate with Jesus will reap a reward that I can't fathom. It's like a guaranteed return. The reason we don't make the investment is because we have to wait. Which probably says something about our patience. The word pneumaticus what paul uses to describe spiritual gifts interesting word we say spiritual gifts it's not spiritual gifts it's pneumaticus that's what it says um so we've added gifts to kind of try to make sense of what uh, kiss uh means and uh that pneumaticus uh, i've heard it described as uh in in relation to a pneumatic wrench um which is like a they use to take the bolts off car tires and it's basically a worthless tool until it gets hooked up to the air pressure then it becomes extremely powerful and can you know pop the the lugs right off of your tires and it's when the wind blows through it and so it's you know interesting in the same sense pneumaticus these spiritual gifts the the spiritual aspects right the mystical side of who we are as christians actually only works when the wind of the Spirit's blowing through us, All right? You ever tried to prophesy when you're not in the anointing? It's like, I think you're worse than when you started. <laughs> you're probably more confused, just like me. All right, the, the gifts don't work unless the Spirit's blowing through us. Same principle as John 15. The vines don't bear fruit unless we're connected to the life source, and it's no different with our spiritual vision we have no capacity to see in the spirit unless we are vitally connected to the spirit himself right it's like we get so just encompassed right it's when we are in jesus right so think about it when we're in jesus and we look out who are we seeing through jesus Seen in the spirit. When we're in Jesus, it's very easy to see in the spirit. Because we're in him. And the harrowing part about Peter's story, he's in the Lord, or he's with the Lord. Has this huge moment. You're going to be the rock of the church. Like, gosh, yes. And we know he didn't have the maturity yet to fulfill that. He hadn't embraced his cross yet. To note because it went to his head we know it went to his head because only moments later he's in the flesh so when jesus says i'm gonna die he sees it in the flesh so he's in the spirit somehow he sees a spiritual vision and then minutes later he doesn't because he's in the flesh which would demonstrate that we're not talking about some type of a one-and-done relationship where once we've got it it never leaves but it's a minute-to-minute consciousness That I'm connected and I'm processing decision after decision after decision in relationship and vital connection to Jesus. Is this good? I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. The father of glory may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? You know, I want to return to one thing which is all of those things I just read, the the hope of your individual calling, the riches of glory in you, his inheritance, your own personal value, significance, purpose, the surpassing greatness of his power, those are all things we want. All right, it's like, gosh, I want all those things. Those are the gifts that the cross gives to us. You know, when we talk about the cross in church, there can almost be this mindset we come against, which is, I don't want that. Don't talk about that. Let's not talk about the cross. You know, I've noticed being in church my whole life how few times the reality of the cost and the cross in discipleship is really embraced. And how can we not embrace the cross to the same measure that we embrace the benefits that it has given us? Right? If we do that, we're making the same mistake as the Corinthians. Which is, we want the benefits. Right? We want the benefits of all of this. Without having to self-empty and become agape. Right? And that's the, that's the critique at the heart of the prosperity gospel. That's the critique out of basically any... Slight deviation that people will often point fingers to, right? But that's like the American dream woven into Christianity. Right? Jesus, We, we, we come to Jesus often without realizing it, especially young in our faith, because of all the things that we think we're going to get. You know, we, I've heard people do that in marriage, too. And then you're in covenant. And you realize this has a cost. What does it cost? Everything. How often? Every day. But if you won't deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy to be my disciple. Spiritual vision will create a culture that is cross-centric. St. Francis of Assisi said, "When, when you die, he said, open me open, open me up. He said, the cross will be imprinted upon my heart because I've meditated upon it for so long. We must embrace the cross with the same fervency and hope and joy that we embrace the resurrection so it's both that's that's the life that paul modeled that is the authenticated gospel of jesus christ and if we're to grow up into salvation and become the full expression of what jesus paid for then i want to be like paul because paul was like jesus and if i have spiritual vision i won't be afraid of that Lord Jesus, I ask God that you will save us, that you will lead us away from any influence that wants to hinder agape, that wants to infiltrate or in any way diminish the power and the vibrancy. Of your self-giving love that was most perfectly demonstrated on the cross of Calvary God may we like Paul carry in our bodies both the death and the resurrection of Jesus God may we become disciples in the most authentic sense of the word We don't wanna live for ourselves. We wanna live for him who died and who was raised for our sake. I ask Holy Spirit that tonight you'll open the eyes of our hearts to see that we'll begin to perceive situations in ways that we never have before. That we will begin to see the most abounding joy that is right on the other side of what we've ran from or pushed aside for so long. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you convict us of if we're anywhere other than at the feet of Jesus. God, that the posture of our lives will be tender and vulnerable and receptive at your feet so that as we receive revelation from you, we're empowered to live our lives in a way that from eternity's perspectives really matter. God, we want our lives to matter. We want tomorrow to matter. We want Tuesday to matter, God. We want every day, every breath, every thought, every word, we want it to matter. And to do that, God, we need your eyes. We need your vision. And so I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are doing a good work inside of us tonight. God, I thank you for the some crosses are made like in each one of our lives right now, God. I'm reminded of Tozer who said some crosses are Made of gold and silver and costly gems, and they incite the jealousy of others. And some crosses are made of feathers, and that they aren't—they don't look heavy to anybody else, but they crucify us nonetheless. And some are are made of iron and heavy things that hurt us in and of themselves. But the reality is that you make crosses. You're a genius at making crosses, God. And those crosses accomplish a good work within us, putting to death the flesh, so that you can bring an exponential release of the glory. Of God, I thank you, God. I lift up each one in this room that is experiencing momentary light affliction. I pray, God, that tonight in the spirit, you will open the eyes of their heart that they can see through this temporary pain, God, and they will see the glory, God, the eternal incomprehensible weight of glory that you are cultivating, that you are so and awakening and quickening on the other side of this temporary light affliction. I thank you, God, that as a church we have said yes to you, Lord. And I thank you, Jesus, that that yes is costly because the only things that matter in life are the things that are costly, God. The only things that evoke true beauty and power and transformation in our world are things that cost us everything. God, there is beauty in purity. There is a glory that comes in no other way but living in undiluted, undivided, pure existence where we say, yes, Jesus. Yes to you. Yes to you. So make us a people of the secret place, God. Make us a people of intimacy, Make us a people of spiritual vision, I pray, so that we can fulfill the upward call of God that you have placed upon each one of us and placed upon us as a community. Lord, we want eyes to see your ways, eyes to see your wisdom, eyes to see your your mode of operating within the earth, Jesus. I Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing right now. And I bless you tonight. In your holy and your powerful name, amen.